Welcome to SimonCast, the official podcast of the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. I'm John Shaw, the director of the Institute. In SimonCast, we aim to keep the legacy of Paul Simon alive and well through wide-ranging civil conversations. And today we're really privileged to be joined by Jennifer Close, a terrific novelist and also a creative writing teacher. Jennifer is from the North Shore of Chicago, Northbrook, uh, grew up there, went to Boston College as an undergrad, went to the New School to earn her MFA uh, while in New York, stayed there for some time, worked for some magazines, including The New Yorker and Vogue. Started writing novels. She's written four really interesting and important novels. We'll talk about one in particular, her new one, Marrying the Ketchups. Um, she's also a creative writing teacher at both George Washington University and a writing school called Catapult, which we will talk about at some length too. So we look forward to a good discussion. And Jennifer is joining us from her home in DuPont Circle area of DC. So Jennifer, hello. Hi, thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Great. Well, tell us about growing up in Northbrook. I mean, that's the North Shore. And 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 also, I'm interested in, uh, in some of the interviews I've seen in which you talk about being a real reader as a kid and just kind of burrowing under the covers with your flashlight reading books <laughs> when you were supposed to have lights out. Tell us about both growing up in Northbrook and then also uh, loving to read. Yeah. Well, I actually grew up in Glencoe, which is right nearby. Okay. There's. It's so funny. There's... um false rumors about which suburb I grew up in. They're all over in different things. Um, yeah, so I, I grew up in the same place. My parents are still in the same house. And I was always a reader. I, I think that that's when people eventually become writers, that's sort of like the first telltale sign of, um, of it is like, how much do you love reading? And I just, from the start, for as long as I can remember, um, I just was addicted to books. I loved going to the library. I loved picking out new books. I loved buying books. And yeah, it was, I mean, it's the greatest thing as a little kid because I never minded going. I mean, I did get in trouble when I was supposed to be in bed reading with a flashlight, but yeah, I was always entertained. And that just really carried me through um, high school and college. And it was in college when I started to really like think about maybe really wanting to be a writer because of course it sounds like a lovely dream job, but I, I didn't know you know, growing up, I didn't really know how to get how to get there. It sounded magical. It, I mean, it is kind of magical, but. So at, at Boston College, did you study English or how did you uh, and did you take a lot of writing classes or what was your kind of what was your focus there? Yeah, I was an English major. Um, and then I took a fiction writing class with Steve Almond, who um, a lot of people know he has a new book out, too, actually. But his class kind of changed my life because it was, he gave a lot of practical advice about how to, how to be a writer, you know, jobs to have while you're working on your craft. He talked about grad school. He, he talked about it in a way that I hadn't really heard before. And he also just took us all pretty seriously or <laughs> he acted like it. It's one of the reasons I actually love teaching at DW is because that class really, um, really sort of made me dedicate myself to writing in a way that I hadn't before. Um, it was a fiction workshop. It was great. I had also taken a nonfiction class, but nonfiction's not, it's not my strong suit. It was super interesting, um, but just not for me. So yeah, I really think it was that class and it was my senior year. And I really, um, really just started being a little bit more serious about, about my writing at that point. 
Well, well, just a little digression. We had a wonderful guest a few uh, months ago. Tom Zollner was his name, who's a writer from Los Angeles. And he had actually, after school, moved to New York to write you know, the great novel and spent a year struggling. And then he just he realized that that was just not not the, the way that he, for him to capture the world and and actually shifted into nonfiction writing. And it, I guess it just kind of lined up more with his you know, ability to describe the world. It's interesting how that happens. Yeah, I think I think people, I mean, a lot of people can do both. I find nonfiction very, very hard, but I have friends who that's their main, you know, their main way of writing. Um, I, I just think it's really hard. I, I'm always amazed at people who can write beautiful essays and, and articles. I just, I, I struggle much more. I think I like the just making stuff up better. <laughs> Well, talk about grad school. You went to the new school and an MFA program. What was that like in terms of both kind of learning the art of writing, but also maybe the broader environment? Because you're in there with a group of, I'm sure, you know, ambitious, you know, people who have sort of the same dream. And did it kind of make it feel more competitive than it might otherwise? Or Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, for me, um, I just think grad school was something that I needed to do. I didn't have any of my other close friends who really wanted to write. So I didn't, I didn't really have a community, which is so important, um, which I will talk more about later because I just think it's, it's one of the most important parts of being a writer. And I also think I needed those two years to really just dedicate, you know, to writing, to learning. So I went to New York, which was also amazing because it's, um, there's so much stuff that happens in New York. There's readings everywhere. There's everywhere you go or turn, people are working on books and writing. So it, 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 it takes away some of the, you know, I called it magical before, but I think it does take away some of, some of that in a good way, because you start to see this is a job. This is an industry. People do publish books. And so you're able to look at it in a different way. Um, I really loved grad school. It was overwhelming and it was competitive. <laughs> it's funny. Um, but I have really great friends from there. Um, I have one friend who I dedicated this book to because she and I are still all these years later exchanging work. We email almost daily about what we're writing, what we're working on, just, I mean, other stuff too, but, but she is really sort of like my writing partner. I bounce ideas off of her and she'll tell me like, you know, sometimes it's, it helps to write it out just to say, I'm working on this chapter. Here's what I'm struggling with. Um, and so she is really invaluable to me. Um, and I met some other great friends there, but it is a funny thing, right? Because you are there supporting each other and you also all want the same thing. So there is, it is a little competitive and it can be, um, it can be overwhelming. It was the, it was the most intense way that my writing had ever been scrutinized. And I, I don't think that I ever again will have an experience like those two years where, I mean, and now I'm a, I am a writer and I teach writing and I still think those two years are the most intense writing experience in my life because it was everything that I was doing. It was, um, I was reading so much. I was writing so much. I was reading other people's work. I mean, it was really just um, that time to sort of just get better at my craft. And so, um, yeah, for me, it was great. I People have, you know, when people ask advice, I always just say, it's probably not for everyone. I have friends who got an MFA, friends who didn't, but I really, really loved it. Um, yeah, I think it helped my writing a lot. 
Well, in one interview, you were saying that you were talking about your current writing. And you said, I'm not the writer that I thought I was going to be in graduate school. And your, your implication was that you were kind of more focused on being a serious writer um, and not maybe, you know, playing with humor and dialogue as much as you've come to do. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk about that if you would. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing about, and I think each grad school program is probably a little bit different, but I will say you get sort of caught up in the group mindset of like what is considered art and what's considered literature. And so I will say uh, this is when I, you know, I started to feel a little bit different from some of the people I was with that if something was popular, they they almost automatically didn't like it. Um, and I And I think in general, funny writing is not, given the respect it so often deserves. And so, yeah, I mean, I think growing up, I thought I was going to write these like grand sweeping sagas um, that were dramatic. It was a lot of, I mean, I read very widely, but I think probably at that time, that is a lot of what I was reading. And, and I kept trying to write a certain way, but humor kept creeping its way in. And I think it took me a long time to really like embrace that and just let it let it come into my writing when I wanted it to, because keep trying to, trying to change my voice wasn't helping. And I think once I, once I just sort of admitted that and looked at how many genius comic writers there are, like George Saunders is such a good example, I think, because he's not just funny. He gets at these other emotions through the absurd. Right. And I think that's a different way of looking at it. Um, You know, you can use humor to get at different things. And I also think, um, you know, part of a writing journey is finding your voice and finding sort of what you're good at. Not that it, not that you ignore everything else, but, but just sort of leaning into that and not trying so hard to fight against it. So yeah, it did take me a while, but I'm so happy when I finally got there. And when you were in grad school, is that when you started thinking about writing a novel? Was that, how did that happen? Yeah. So the second year you work on a thesis and some people did, I I mean, it's interesting too, because a lot of, you know, in workshop, anyone that's been in workshop, most of what you're doing in workshop is short stories. It's just, it's sort of the easiest thing to, you know, to have everyone read. Um, And it's really valuable. It helps because you learn how to shape a story. You talk about language, but I will say a lot of what we talked about in grad school was like the beauty of the words and language. We did not talk about plot and pacing nearly as much as I wish we had, maybe not even at all. And so when I started to try to write a novel and it was an idea, um, this novel did not, I did not finish it. (laughs) I worked on it for many, many years. Um, I think a lot of people have a book like this, but it was about a young boy or he was about 18, um, who was afraid he had mental illness in his family and he was afraid that it, it was starting that he was starting to be affected by it and he went on a road trip and i tried to write this book for years and years the other thing i will say is i very often in grad school wrote from a male point of view and i think there was something there that i thought i would be taken more seriously which just angers me to think about now um and i'm just so happy i was able to let that idea go and i I hope no one thinks that ever again, (laughs) but I think there was something, um, you know, something I was picking up on, but yeah, that book, I mean, I didn't know how to write a novel and I really, really struggled. I kept getting about 50 pages in and then I would realize something and I would just start over and I just kept doing that. And so now 
um, you mentioned Catapult, which is the, the place where I teach. It's based out of New York, but it's online. And I teach a novel writing class. And a lot of what I talk about is just sort of like getting the whole thing done because it's real. no one knows how to write a novel until you do it. If there was, if there was really a to-do list and a way to just like tell someone how, that would be amazing. But everyone works a little bit differently. You kind of have to feel your way through it. And um, I do think that's why a lot of people have a novel that doesn't get finished. Or if it does, they're not excited to show it to anyone. It was like a learning, a learning process. Yeah. I was just reading an essay about novel writing and, and the author said, it's easy to get lost while writing a novel. So easy. It's, a lo it's really long, especially in the middle. I find for me, I usually know where it starts and I, I have a sense of where it's going to end, but it's the middle that it's like, I, I don't know. When I start a novel, I do not know what's going to happen. So I, I'm just sort of fumbling around in the middle. Can you can go a lot of different ways? It's really easy to get lost. Yeah. Well, but, but before we talk about your technique, let, let's talk. I mean, when you were in New York, then you also worked at a couple of magazines. I think New Yorker, Vogue, Condé Nast. Were these, you know, kind of rent jobs to help you do writing, or were they uh, ones that were they administrative jobs? What kind of positions were they? Yeah, they were. I mean, I'm so grateful. I loved working there. I interned at The New Yorker and then I worked at Vogue and then Condé Nast Portfolio, which was a short lived business magazine, but a great idea. Um, so I did a bunch of things. I was an assistant. I I worked um, I was worked with a managing editor. I was the um, deputy managing editor and which is, you know, a lot about sort of getting things done. And I I really think I mean, I just loved the people that worked there. Everyone. It was just a really fun place to work. It's really satisfying to work on something that like you have a physical product at the end of the month. I love magazines. I'm sad about the way they're going. But um, the other thing I loved about working there was, I mean, it was a job. It was it was a job to support myself. Um, but I loved that so many people there were doing creative things as well. It was not unusual to say I'm working on a book because three other people would say I am too. Or I published a lot of the editors there had published books. Um, so that was nice to, again, to sort of like see it happen and know that it could happen. And I will also say the, the things that I learned there, I, I wrote a little bit, but not a lot, like little tiny articles and nothing too big. Um, but I did do a lot of like go-betweens between editors and writers and, and sort of the schedules. And I think I realized how important it is to be edited and how it's important to be open to being edited because there is a point when I think you stop seeing your own work in a clear way. Um, and so I, I always say I love being edited, which I don't know if that's exactly true because, you know, your first instinct when you get notes like that is like, oh, <laughs> I wanted you to just say it's perfect. But um, I think watching that happen every month with all of these um, really brilliant writers and editors just made me realize that like it's it's for the better of the piece it's for the better of the you know of the writing that someone else takes takes a look at it and sort of sharpens it up yeah uh, let's talk about your writing process a bit and I saw an interview and I think you're being a little self-deprecating but you were asked <laughs> about your writing process and you said my writing process is a mess but I've learned to accept and work with it 
I start by just writing scenes or conversations between characters, and for months I'll write whatever comes to me about the characters and their lives. Once I've written them for a while and feel like I know them, I might start to construct some chapter or longer scenes that start to shape the story. I don't outline until I'm almost a whole draft done, and then I'll go back and look over it and see how the pacing feels. I usually have an idea of how the book is going to end, but I, I always keep an open mind and write. Sometimes my characters end up surprising me. So talk about the, the, your, your writing process. Um, I was not being self-deprecating. It is, I am, I am a messy writer. I have friends, I, and I think this is really fascinating. I, I could listen to writers talk about their process all day long because again, like I said, everyone's a little bit different, but I think there's things you can pick up on. And with my first book, I was so sure that I had to outline it. I was so sure that I had to know every chapter and what was going to happen. And I, that stopped me from, from letting myself go and just having fun with it, which is the best part of the process is the beginning when they're new to you and you get to write all these scenes. And I tell my students all the time, like, it doesn't matter if you don't know where this scene is going to go. It doesn't matter if it might not make it in, you have to just write whatever comes to mind because um, it might inform something that you write later. Maybe you just needed to know that the character went through this, or maybe it's going to take a turn in the book that you didn't see coming, but um, it doesn't help anyone to stop yourself from writing something. So yeah, I, I usually start in a notebook um, when I first have an idea early on. I think notebooks are really friendly. I highly suggest this for anyone who's listening who wants to write. Um, there's something really nice about just jotting down notes and questions in a notebook rather than starting with like a word document, which can feel kind of unfriendly. So I will write in a notebook until I can tell that I'm sort of picking up steam, like I'm writing longer passages and it's getting a little bit harder. And I, I also kind of think it's good to be frustrated, right? Like we don't, we don't write by hand as much anymore. So there is, it's a slower process and there's something that I think really works about making your mind slow down a little bit. Um, and then I eventually moved to the computer, but yeah, I mean, I am all over the place. Like I have the, the documents for the new book I'm writing now. I almost just put book in quotes because I don't know what it is yet. Um, but a lot of it is like file one. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and you can see behind me, I actually am trying to, I am trying a little bit more this time to, I'm not outlining before I write so much as like, as I go, I'm trying to keep track of it. Cause I, with marrying the ketchups, um, I did just let myself really do exactly what you just said, explore. And, um, and I, I do think that's important. I don't take that back, but I think, I think I got a little lost. I think it was easier for me to go off on these tangents. And then I looked back later and thought, oh, I don't, I don't need those hundred pages. <laughs> so I had to cut that. Um, and it was hard. I cut a lot from that book. And so I'm trying to be a, a little bit more intentional with each book. There's something new that I try. And this time I am trying to, um, I also highly recommend doing it this way, which is like, feels like I'm solving a murder, um, with all the things up there, but yeah. So, um, yeah, I think for anyone out there who thinks, you know, I can't finish a book because I don't have an outline or, you know, my first draft is unreadable. Welcome. That's, there's a lot of us out there. There are, there are some people who write very clean first drafts and who outline, but that's, they're on the other, they're on the other end of the spectrum. So whatever way you're doing it is, it can work. 
Yeah, I, I do think there's maybe a difference between the nonfiction and fictional world because I, I'm part of a, a biographers group, uh, and I mean this is always a big discussion. You know, how much should you outline? And we had actually her name is Candace Millard. We did an event with her a year ago, who's written terrific books, and she says she sometimes spends a year outlining her book, which is just I mean basically her whole research, uh, you know, her effort to kind of scope out the project track down, you know, see what primary sources are, are available and so forth. Um, I think others in the nonfiction world, you know, have much more, have much briefer and more, you know, preliminary kind of outlines. And some don't either. But I think this might be one area where fiction writing um, lends itself and is probably more successful if you don't have a, a rigid outline. Whereas with nonfiction, sometimes you just have to kind of stay focused on the point that you're trying to to tackle and the characters you're trying to develop. And it's, it, it seems to work at least for me better that way. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely understand that. And I do have friends who write very specific outlines, which to me, it sounds amazing. It just doesn't work for me, but yeah. Well, let's talk about your book, The Hopefuls. Uh, and it seems like it drew a bit from your real life. You are in New York. Uh, your husband, I, as I understand it, was working for the Obama campaign, which was successful in 2008. You moved to D.C. from New York and you, know, you, you kind of are walking into a new world and, and you chronicle it, you know, through fictional characters. But I want to read a couple sentences from a review from um, uh, Ron Charles from The Washington Post about your book. He calls it a hilarious gripe fest about what it feels like to be caught in the gravitational pull of Washington. For you, the haters of D.C. who are drafted, drafted by the Capitol by spouses or necessity or mistaken identity, here finally is a novel witty enough to match your secret loathing and tender-hearted enough to make you realize how much you love this damn cesspool after all. <laughs> oh, Tell us about the hopefuls. Yeah, I mean, it was. it's a really funny thing. Um, I think more than any other city, there are people that are dragged here. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's such an industry town and people come here for specific things. So I think I definitely, it took me a little while because I'm trying to think of when I started really writing The Hopefuls. I think I had been here for at least four or five years. Um, and I just was looking around. There was, there was a couple of things that really interested me. You know, one was sort of that idea of living here and not working in politics because it is just, it's, it's a funny place to be. Um, and then also I was really obsessed with the idea of people who want to run for office and why, um, which is not my husband. So that was, you know, I, I think, um, I think people who knew me were surprised I was writing a novel about DC and it was like, it's not, it's, I'm drawing from things I've seen, but it, it has nothing to do with my real life. So I felt very, um, I really embraced that. Like I really, that was the first time I embraced, um, not really caring what people like if people wondered if it was you know based on real life or or all of that which was fun um and it was I loved writing about DC one of my favorite books is Heartburn by Nora Ephron which also part of it takes place in DC and she's also been dragged here the main character um because her husband is here and so there's just it's there's a lot of people I'm meeting with a writer tomorrow we're meeting in person for the first time who moved from New York because the person she ended up marrying works on the Hill. And it's like, you, anyway, so it's just, it's this interesting little, interesting little subset of people. And I, I just really wanted to try to capture this place. Cause I think people don't write about it that often and people don't write about it 
in, from the view of like an outsider, I think. Um, yeah. And it, and it just, it, that was a fun one to write. I, I was very, um, yeah, it was just fun. I, I enjoyed a lot of it. And we ended up moving from DC after that. And then we came back. <laughs> so I'm back and I am happy to be back. There are, there are good things about this city. And you also, I think, worked at the Politics and Prose Bookstore, which is one of the yeah. iconic stores. And you say, I saw in an interview where you said you just loved being around people who love books and talking about books and meeting authors. Talk about that experience. Yeah, I was so happy when I, um, you know, the strange thing, too, about moving to D.C. is a lot of, like, I had worked in magazines and there's just not the same I, my my job skills did not transfer. And so I was sort of lucky with the timing. I sold my book not long after I moved here, um, which was amazing because then it sort of gave me um, the freedom to, you know, I, I started working at the bookstore. You know, it, it was a job. It was 40 hours a week, but, it, but I was able to do that um, because I had sold the book. And yeah, I just, um, Politics and Prose is a great one. It's, there's a lot of really good bookstores in D.C., um, but they have authors all the time. They're starting in-person events again, which is amazing because I think it's been really sad um, not to have it. But working there every, you know, probably five nights a week, they had an event, maybe more during like the height of the season. And it was just really fun. It was fun. You know, like I said, I love hearing authors talk about their um, writing process. And so if I was working, I always got to eavesdrop on that. And sometimes it was writers. I like admired and were heroes of mine. And that's fun too. Um, and then it's just fun to be in a place where books come out once a week and you get to see the new releases and you get to try to sell your old favorites to customers. And it's, um, I love bookstores. Yeah. <laughs> They're my happy place. Well, you, I think this was the time the hopefuls had just come out and you were, you were promoting it or talking about it. And so someone asked you the inevitable question. So what's next? And you say, so my next book is about a family who owns a restaurant and I don't too much know too much about it, but I think it takes place in Chicago. It's a family business, so they're all sort of working together. And that's all I have for right now. Just some sort of really light sketches of what it is. So talk that about that sort of better. process. Pardon me? That makes me feel better. So that was when the hopefuls came out that I gave that answer? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I, Marrying the Ketchups took me longer than most books. And I, I'm really bad at um, dating my notebooks. That's another thing I'm trying to get better at is like keeping track of how I write. Because someone will say, how long did this book take you? I'm like, I have no idea. And I think because I was finishing the hopefuls, I wasn't able to really start writing it until the hopefuls came out. And then I could dedicate my time to it. So yeah, I knew I had wanted to write about a restaurant for a long time. Um, it must have been shortly after that I decided where exactly the restaurant would be in Chicago, which was a fun thing to pick. Um, yeah. And then after 2016, the book, I had a good chunk of it, what I thought it was a good chunk of it done. And then it really changed in 2016. Um, <laughs> it changed direction. Yeah. Well, let me read a few sentences that will will help you focus on that. You say the mute, the mood was askew. Maybe it was just the unfamiliar experiences of watching the Cubs in October. Maybe it was the fall weather, the dread of the approaching Chicago winter. Maybe it was the election, that awful man all over the news, snarling and stirring up the worst parts of everyone. And then you go on to write, in the span of two weeks, Gretchen, one of the main figures, Gretchen's grandfather died, 
the Cubs won the World Series and Trump won the election. Three impossible events right after the other. Nothing makes sense anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, um, I don't know if you're a Cubs fan, but I'm a huge Cubs fan. And my first dog was named Wrigley. And I um, was so thrilled when they won. It was just that, like, I just feel like it felt very surreal. I couldn't believe it. Um, and it will forever be tied to the election for me because it was like a week later that that happened. And I just remember feeling really thrown. Like it was like, I felt like nothing was right. And so, um, when I decided to put that in the book, I really wanted to put the Cubs winning the world series in the book, because by that time I knew where the restaurant was, I knew they would be Cubs fans. And I just liked that idea, but I couldn't put that in without also talking about sort of the mood of the country and what was happening, because I also knew these characters were people who would be paying attention and they live in a, in Oak park and um, it's a political town and that's aware and it's liberal. And so um, I did not mean to write about politics in any way, shape or form. And it snuck its way in. And that's what I mean about being surprised. Um, And I didn't really want to, I have to say it was not, a lot of what I was writing about wasn't pleasant because we were kind of going through it and it felt to me like a really dark time in our country. And it was, I didn't want to be writing about it more, but I couldn't help it once I started it. And then I think that's when I knew um, that the grandfather, the patriarch of the family, you know, I always talk about sort of putting more pressure on your characters and what's something you can do. And so those two events, right, they sort of shook my world in a different way. But then I thought, what else can I do to make it feel even worse for them? And so that was when he, when I knew he was going to die at the very beginning of the book. Um, yeah. And it just, it, it changed the course because it made everything that was happening. Um, they were looking at it in a different way, which ended up being great. But I have to say there was a point in middle of it when I just thought, why am I writing about this? What did I do? Um, you know, with the hopefuls, I don't work in politics. So it was fun to sort of write about it and write about people that do work in politics. This was different because it was a lot about how politics affect everyday life. So it was it was different. Um, but again, I had no plans to I had no plans to write about that. And it just really took over the book. <laughs> yeah, and I just remember one scene, I think two uh, two, uh, two couples are out to eat at um, Sullivan's and uh, the waitress overhears a discussion of the election in which, you know, one couple is more pleased with the outcome than the other. And you write something like, you know, this tense conversation is happening across happening across yeah. the country. It's, I mean, because they, 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 you, can, you can see the animosity growing between this couple as they moved into a realm that made them really uncomfortable. Yeah, which I think it was, I mean, that that was sort of satisfying to write about. To, I think there was, it, it, there was a lot of tension that everyone was dealing with. And I think in personal conversations and relationships, when you sort of had to come to terms with like, oh, you think this and I think this, and we do not align at all. Um, and I think it felt, you know, I, I think it felt different to me than anything I had experienced before. Yeah. Well, let's say I mean, two of the communities that are, are vividly described are Oak Park, as you mentioned, and also Lake Forest, where one of the protagonists uh, moves, although she ends up 
leaving um, in the context of a divorce. Talk about those two communities. I, I read where you with Oak Park, maybe one of your good friends had grown up there. So you were able to kind of have a firsthand sort of take on what it was like and were able to run your impressions by her. But talk about these two different communities in the Chicagoland area. Yeah, one of my friends that I went to high school with ended up moving there and she lives there now with her family. And um, so, you know, I, I visit often and I've spent some time there and I just, I find it a very fascinating place. I love it. I, it is um, really liberal. It's so different from, from a lot of suburbs in Chicago in this wonderful way. I think it has so much personality. And I just remember thinking I really wanted to try to capture that, um, which is hard and also a little scary because you feel like responsibility that, that you want to get it right. Um, And then I was trying to think of something that seemed very opposite from Oak Park. And, you know, I like, I know Lake Forest enough. <laughs> I had, you know, I had friends that are growing up. I, I know it enough that I felt like I could, you know, describe it or, you know, to be fair, what I thought of it, because it's, it's not, it's, it's the character's impression of, of the town, but um, it was fun because I, you know, I think that's another interesting thing that did happen after the election people sometimes looked around where they lived. I, I have a friend who, um, she's in New York, but after the election, I think she, for the first time realized, oh, I live in a, a very conservative place. And it's not that she didn't know that before, but I think it became, she couldn't, she couldn't ignore it anymore, I guess. Um, and that's, that's a lot of what I have one of my characters go through. Yeah. Well, I saw one interview you did in which the, uh, your interlocutor asked you, so what is the like kind of the through line that connects your your four novels? And you pause for a second, you say, I guess you said you said it's not intentional, but I, I guess I am drawn by the challenge of watching people grow up or try to grow up. Um, and in this case, we have, you know, sort of three main characters, two sisters and a cousin who are you know going through you know, big life changes and are trying to kind of get their footing and and move to the next place. Talk about that if you would. Yeah, it's a funny thing because I, I mean, maybe this goes with the way that I write, but it's very often that I don't realize why I'm writing about something or that there's a theme or, you know, until I look back later and I think, oh, that's why I was, that's why I was really focused on that subject. And it's the same way for what I think about with all of my books. I do think there's in each book, sort of this idea of like what it means to be an adult. And there's there's a line in this book, which I do really like where, you know, the country's kind of going to hell. And one of the characters says like, where are the adults? And she herself is in her thirties and she's still not thinking of herself that way. And I think that's a common thing that people think, which is like, well, there's someone else to take care of things or there's someone else to, to be responsible for this. Um, and I just am really drawn to that that idea of, you know, when do you feel like an adult? When do other people think that you're an adult? What, you know, what does it mean to be an adult? What does that word even mean? And so, um, yeah, I, I, that was definitely a theme in this book, just that idea of, um, you know, is anyone coming to save you or are you going to have to do it yourself? Um, which is kind of scary, but yeah, it was, it was interesting to write about. Well, let's talk about the title. As someone who worked in a restaurant, my first job was as a bus boy. I, I, <laughs> I could appreciate what you were saying. And I, I will say to our viewers, uh, Jennifer's done a wonderful little clip on YouTube talking about marrying the ketchups. 
but talk about uh, the title and what, you know, both how it came to you, which I guess, I think initially you were going to call the book Wait, and then uh, talk about the change of title, but more just the concept of marrying the catch-ups and how that has, has kind of t takes on a bigger meaning in, in the book. Yeah, I... Um... Oh, you did you did your homework well because I did for for long for years I was really determined the book I had it titled as wait with a period <laughs> and I just really liked it I liked the idea of you know the idea of waiting for the Cubs to win the World Series the ideas of waiting tables the ideas of you know waiting for something to start waiting for things to get better I just I really loved it um, but it was one of those one of those circumstances where no one else liked the title. And I had always had, um, there's three sections in the book and they're each, they're each titled after a, like a restaurant term. And so originally marrying the ketchups was the title of the first section, um, which I just loved because marrying the ketchups I did when I worked in a restaurant. Um, and I had never, for anyone who doesn't know, it's, you know, when the ketchup bottles are like almost empty and you combine them and wipe them down and make them look new. And I just remember the first time they showed me how to do that, I just thought, oh, <laughs> that makes sense. I guess I never questioned why there was always a full bottle of ketchup at a table when I would go out to eat, but this makes a lot more sense that you would be doing this behind the scenes. Um, and I liked that idea for so many reasons. Um, one, I just think it's like a fun and kind of gross thing that happens in restaurants. Um, and two, it's one of those things, like part of what's fun about restaurants and writing about restaurants is there's a whole world, you know, most people are familiar with the idea of restaurants. Most people go out to eat, you know, some more often than others, but it's, it's something that people are comfortable with and they know, but there is a whole world that's happening behind the scenes that the customers um, never see, never know about. And that's one of them. You know, you, you would never know that the number of people who ask me what the title means, it's like, they have no idea that that happens. And so all along, I will say this, my editor from the very first pages she saw asked if we could use this as the title and I kept saying no I just don't think it's right I just don't feel like it's right um and then at some point you know and she's very subtle and persistent like she never she would just say like okay and she would just keep asking and asking and finally at one point I was like yeah sure let's call it that <laughs> and and I have to say it's it's the right title I'm I'm really pleased that that's what we went with it's it's a better title than wait I can admit that now but um, yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of like a little nod to to what happens in restaurants. There's a really great scene that I won't ruin, um, but it's about one of the characters um, sort of thinking about what it means to marry the ketchups and what she always thought about it. Um, and again, I like the idea that it's it's something that people in the industry know what it is and most people outside don't, because I think that sort of plays off the um, the two camps of the people who work in a restaurant and the people who eat in them. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your life as a teacher and uh, both the GW and Catapult. And I, I, I in my research, I, I, I went to rate my professor and I, I read some of these evaluations of you. Professor Close is the best. I absolutely loved her class. If you're interested in fiction writing, take her. You do a bunch of cool writing exercises and read interesting short stories for homework. Another said, Professor Close is fantastic. She puts students at ease, even when they have to share their own writing. And a third one said, amazing teacher. She's incredibly kind and funny. Her homework assignments are really great. And I think her style of teaching 
is the best. So let's talk about, you know, teaching. And I guess maybe starting out with sort of the age old question about, you know, you know, how do you teach writing? Can you teach writing? Uh, you know, how do you facilitate someone's sort of latent skills at writing? Talk about your, your approach to teaching. Um, I mean, I love this question because I think there's something really funny. And I think this is a lot of what I try to drive home in my college classes a little bit, but, but I also teach a, a novel writing class. And I think for, for whatever reason, like no one expects musicians to just wake up and be able to play the piano, right? Like there's practice and there's learning that goes into it. And the same can be said of any other craft, sports, any, you know, anything. But for some reason with writing, I think there is this idea that if it's hard or what you're producing isn't good at first, that that's it. But like, you have to, there's a lot of learning to be done. You can study the way, um, you know, classic writers do it or contemporary writers do it. You can study writing, which you kind of always are when you're reading, um, but you can do it. You can like tune in a little bit more and do it in a more intentional way. And you practice, right? Like, like that's what it is. It always makes me laugh. Um, I don't know that you can teach someone who has no interest in writing to write because they probably don't want to, but I think if you have a passion for it, I mean, what I always say is like, if there's someone who loves to read and wants to write, I think there's a way in because I think that like reading again is sort of the gateway. Um, and I, and I, the only time I would ever be very nervous if someone said they wanted to be a writer was if they told me they didn't like to read because then why would you want to be a writer? Um, but I, but yeah, I mean, I think there's so much to learn. There's, there's some technical things and it's not, you know, all writing sounds different. People find their own voice, but, um, there's also some really good, you know, like there's one, um, I, I do a lesson on dialogue and voice, which is really helpful. Like you start thinking about it a different way and looking at it and, and really figuring out how to capture it. Um, even talking about how to use page breaks. Writers might not know that. It's when you start noticing what page breaks can do and like the work they can do in a story. So there's a lot of tools and skills that you can give to people. And then again, I just think it's about like putting in the time and practicing and that's what makes you better. So um, yeah, I, I think you can teach writing. I think there's so much to be gained um, from being in a workshop, from, from sharing your work, which is really scary, but really necessary. Um, and that makes me happy. I love, you know, I, I love every class I teach for different reasons, but GW, I'm going back in person in the fall and I'm so excited because what I love about teaching college age kids is, you know, that was the class that really like, it, it just like really excited me and really made me decide that this is what I wanted to do. And I am really like thrilled if I can be that person for someone else, because I think, um, again, you don't always have a guide to how to be a writer, right? Like you don't, you're, you don't always have people that you can ask or look to and everyone's path is a little bit different. So I think even just having them ask questions about like, how did you write a book and, and what do you do and what does your job look like is great. And then also just having them play around. It's a fun class. Um, we do a lot of writing exercises, which I love. I've always been a big fan of writing exercises. I think they have I think they have such a place in classes <laughs> and actually in life. I, um, I think that you, they can be used all the time. Um, and just reading really good stories. Like I think the best classes for me were when I read something that I wouldn't have chosen myself. And that's really fun. So 
um, yeah, I just love introducing them to things that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise seen, things that might spark ideas and just giving them the confidence to keep going. Cause that's what like so much of writing is, is just to keep going and getting better and putting in the time. Yeah. And the catapult program, I just saw a little bit on the website, it says a 12 week novel draft generator is the concept that you would write a novel in 12 weeks or that it was in this 12 week class, you would just get the broad skills to get started. Yeah, it's I know the title's a little misleading, which I always say, if I know anyone who's written a novel in 12 weeks, I actually don't, I don't want to know about it because it takes it takes a lot longer. It's really like um, it's really more of a novel workshop class. Um, it's I didn't title it. It's it's a class that that's been you know there before me. I didn't design it, but um, it's really helpful because you get there's six writers. It's a small class. We're together for twelve weeks, and you ideally get to see people's entire drafts. So you get to say like. I love the way you started it, but it sounds like a different book in the middle. And like the end doesn't feel true. You know, like you get, you really get the whole scope of things. And then we do talk about um, pacing and dialogue and voice and sort of, you know, there's things that we talk about in that class that I think aren't talked about in other classes. Right. And then just every time we workshop it, right. We talk about like, um, again, just sort of like, how are you, how are you starting this book? Like, how are you, how is the reader going to feel reading this very first scene? Is this the right place to start? Like all of these really big questions that, again, because novels are long, you can get lost. So it's a really good class. And what's fun, I've been teaching it for a few years and a lot of my classes are still meeting without me. The class ends and they continue to meet and workshop. Um, one of the classes just all, I saw they met in person last weekend, which was fun to see <laughs> um, because they're also like, they're, and, and this is what I was going to say about, you know, creating a writing community um, because it's online, everyone's in different cities, but it's really nice the way that they're able to come together and sort of, they're all, they all have the same goal. And so it's fun to see these different classes, like one class that I taught a couple of years ago, they're all really working on finishing the draft they're working on. Another one, all of them are in the process of querying agents. So they're able to use each other as resources to like ask questions, to commiserate. Um, and I think that's so important because a lot of it, a lot of writing is really lonely. And I think it's so nice they have each other for practical reasons, but also emotional support. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's a great class. It's a really, really wonderful class. Great. Well, let's go to some questions. And the first question comes from Linda in Carbondale, who says, what advice would you give an aspiring author on how to get published? I mean, you mentioned in passing agents, uh, tackle that one. I'm sure a lot of people would like to know. Yeah. I mean, I will say, um, there's a lot of good resources. There's a book called, um, before and after the book deal by Courtney mom, which is really, there's a lot of just like practical advice because, um, you know, because I was, I had my grad school friends and everyone was querying agents. I was able to sort of use them as like, we all did it together, rewrote query letters because the the sort of short process is for fiction writers, you have to have a finished book. That's just how it is. It's different for nonfiction. And then the next step is you query agents, which means you send your, you know, you send a query letter to agents saying, this is what my book's about. Would you like to read it? <laughs> it's it's better than that. And there is tons of resources online for how to write a query letter, what to include. Um, and then if if you get an agent, then they go on to sell it to the publisher. So it's it's this long and kind of confusing process if you've never 
you know, if you've never known anyone that's gone through it and you don't know anything about it, it can feel really intimidating. So that book by Courtney Mom, Before and After the Book Deal, is a great one to look at. And then there's also just, there's really good websites. There's um, a website called Query Tracker, which when you're trying to find an agent, um, you know, you can sort of see what they've, you know, if they're accepting queries, if they're looking for new clients and what kind of books they represent, because that's the big thing. You want to find someone that fits with you. And my biggest and best piece of advice um, when you're looking for an agent is to look in the acknowledgements of books that you really like, that you feel are like similar to yours, because almost everyone thinks they're agent. And so that's a way that you can say like, oh, this book is similar to mine because, you know, it has the same kind of narrator. It's set in the same place. So maybe they'll be interested in it and I'm going to, you know, use this person. So I, I always think that's a nice piece of advice, but yeah. Richard from LaGrange wants to know about your writing uh, process, your writing routine. I guess maybe play off the notion of, I mean, do you set aside a certain work day to do writing? Do you give yourself a word, uh, kind of a word goal for each day, each week? How do you, how, when you're, when you're firing on all cylinders on, on a book, what, what is yeah. your routine? Um, so two things, one on Sunday nights, I schedule my writing for the whole week. So it's, um, like I look at the week ahead. So for today, um, you know, because I knew I had this interview, I knew the writing would be scheduled after it or before, you know, so I, like, I look at the way my day is and then I, I block out time. Um, I do not leave it up until like, oh, I'll do it in the afternoon. I block out like I will do four and 5 p.m. because that's what works. Um, and I write it in my calendar, which is really, really helpful for me. Um, I write it in my planner and that's it sort of holds me accountable. I almost always write for time rather than word count, but this is also a really personal preference. Um, but I will also say like right now, um, Jamie Attenberg does this great thing called Thousand Words of Summer, and she um, sends out these newsletters and everyone, you know, it's you write a thousand words for two weeks. And I am sort of doing that now just because I think it's fun to sort of mix things up um, and generate new material. But normally for me, it's the time thing. Um, I protect that time very, very well. I do not, unless it is a 911 emergency, I do not reschedule it. Um, and, and that's really hard because I also think people know you could reschedule it. Um, but I do not, I, I really, really try as hard as I can to stick to it. And then as for how much I write, you know, early on in a project, it can be as little as an hour or two a day. I think being consistent is really important. And it's also, you know, what works with your schedule. Um, and then the further I get into a project, it really ramps up. And there is a point when it's full days, that I'm working on it. And then it kind of peters out a little bit too. <laughs> so um, it's, I always think of it as like a mountain. Um, and so I'm at, I probably do at this point where I am in my book, I try for three hours a day. Um, but two is great. I'm, I'm pleased with two at this point. And I will probably be at that time range for a while. Um, three hours is a really good, it's a really good sweet spot for me because <laughs> it's a good chunk of time, but um, not so long that I get, you know, distracted, but yeah, those are all, those are all of my tips. Yeah. Do you usually, uh, defer, uh, revisions until you've finished at least an initial draft and then you go back and, and start to edit and revise? I try really hard. Um, yes. I mean, to a point, like I, once I accepted that the first book I was trying to write was never going to be finished. I realized that a lot of what 
sabotage. I was sabotaging myself by just like revising and starting over instead of getting to the end. And I'm a big believer in like getting it all down and fixing it in the last draft. That's what I mean. <laughs> I am a messy writer. Um, but that being said, there is a point when I do need to go back and sort of start revising because I, I know a little bit more of like what the voice sounds like or what, what's happening. And then I will split. I will, if I'm, if I'm not done with the draft yet, I will split my time between revising and then generating new material. And I try always, I mean, I'm not perfect at it, but to keep moving forward, because I've just found for myself that as soon as I get to the end, that's when I can see it clearly. And until I get there, I can't really see it clearly. So it does me no good to go back and start revising unless I know what's going to happen. So Mindy from Carbondale asks about book reviews and says, do you read your book reviews? Can they be helpful and constructive? Have, have they ever pointed out aspects of your writing that you had not understood before? And by the way, she congratulates you for a rave review you got in the New York Times recently. Oh, yeah. Well, that one I did. That one I've read four million times. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I do read them. I'm, I'm a little bit better about not... Um, not letting them upset me if they're not what I want them to be. And it's, it's funny now too, like, you know, there's reviews like the big book reviews in, in the times and the tribune and the post and, and all of those. And then there's, um, you know, reviews online by readers, which, um, you know, can, can sort of be more hurtful too, because you think like, that's who I'm writing it for. Um, I don't spend much time with my first book. I was, because it was just, I couldn't even believe people were reading it. I think I read every Amazon and Goodread review, which is just like, that's not a healthy thing to do. It's not good for anyone. And that I, I really don't do. I also, I'm sort of even surprised to be saying this, but I am, it, it, I'm a, much tougher now. It, it really doesn't, not every book is for every person. That's just the truth of it. Or, or the, like, that's just not how the world works. So, um, you know, understanding that is, is helpful. Um, I am always thrilled, like with the with the times book review, part of what I loved about it was, you know, I know what my strengths and weaknesses are as a writer. And I was really pleased. I love character driven novels. I, you know, and, and she writes about there's, there's nothing too pressing happening, to, right. It's just, it's a lot about the characters living their lives. Um, but I was pleased to hear her say it still made her want to keep reading. I felt very, validated, which maybe is not the best thing, but I was, I was really happy because I, I felt as though that's, she, she got what I was trying to do. And I, I do always feel really happy. There was another really, really good review um, th that I felt just like really happy that he seemed to understand what I was trying to write about. Um, and so that just, it made me happy, but at the same time, yeah, you can't put too much stock into it because um you know, if there's a bad review, you know, you're going to write the book you're going to write and you can always try to be better and, and, um, you know, do better each time. But by the time the reviews come out, it's done. So it's very limp. It's not much you can do about it. I think in the Times review, they referred to your writing as propulsive, which is for a writer, that's what you like to hear. I mean, just the yeah. notion of, <laughs> of, of pushing and pulling and kind of energizing people to turn the page. Yeah. Yeah. Um, LaShawn from DeKalb um, says, I know there are several fantasy series that have large worlds like Game of Thrones and, of course, Lord of Rings. But at what point do you think a world is too big to write about? 
Oh, I mean, I don't know that I'm qualified to say that. I, I think that, um, you know, I did not read the Game of Thrones books, that, but the people that did really loved them. I mean, I think that world was created quite well. Um, you know, I think he was able to sort of rein it in. I don't know. I, I mean, I think that's, I think if you ever feel lost in the world, maybe that's a sign if you in the world that you're creating. Um, Cause I think usually the trick is for any world that a writer is writing about is like, you see it so clearly it's how to make sure your reader sees it as clearly as you do in your own mind. But um, that's a good question, but I don't think I have an answer for that one. Yeah. Okay. Um, you've made a couple glancing references to a current writing project. What, uh, what do you want to tell us about what you're working on now? Um, it takes place at a country club and there's something tragic that happens in the very, very beginning of the novel, um, that sort of sets everyone off. And yeah, that's, again, I see, I don't know too much. There's, um, there's more than one narrator and yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much what I've got. <laughs> I know what the, I know what the big event is, but I will, I will keep it to myself for now. Yeah. Okay. We've talked about reading and, and what the, the books you like to read. And the one that I was struck in an interview, you said a book that had a lot of effect on you was The Girl's Guide to Hunting and Fishing by Melissa Bank. Tell us about that book. I've, I've heard people refer to it. I've seen it at bookstores, but how, why was that an important book in your life? Oh, I loved that book. My copy of it, which is back there, is so worn and loved. Um, there was a lot of things. One, I think it was, um, it was a female, well, she did something super interesting, which it was kind of short stories um, about the same character in different parts of her life. And I think it was one of those books when I, you know, I think women's stories are often dismissed. And this book was just so fantastic. The voice was amazing. It felt so insightful. It was also just funny. She's funny. Um, and it was just, it's, it was a delight to read. And I remember finishing it and starting right over. And that was a huge, 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 um, you know, inspiration for Girls in My Dresses because it's not a traditional novel. There's, there are different stories and it jumps around. And I just, I love when you read a book and you think, oh, oh, you're allowed to do that. <laughs> oh, you can do that. Um, yeah. I mean, it was all of those things. She's clever. It's just, it's for anyone who hasn't read it. I highly recommend it. It's just such a good one. Let me ask you finally, how do you like to relax when you want to de, you know, to kind of pull yourself out of the writing mode? I know you said you're a Cubs fan. Um, I know you, you speak uh, lovingly of, of several dogs who've been helped you through the writing process. Uh, how do you like to relax when you're not writing? Um, I mean, I'm about to laugh because I, I, reading is a big one. <laughs> I like to, um, reading for fun. And then, um, I will say I also, I like a lot of TV just, you know, I like going out to dinner, which will shock no one, you know, from spending time with friends, but, um, yeah, reading is, is probably my number one pastime. <laughs> I would say. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for really a terrific conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I know we have a couple writing groups that have been watching this and have probably been taking notes. Um, and it's been really helpful. And I would encourage people to read Marrying the Ketchups. It was a fun, fun book to read. Very evocative of parts of Illinois. Um, and so we will, uh, 
We'd love it when you come back to Illinois to coax you down south. I don't know if you've been down to southern Illinois, but I, I'm sure the, the students here would love to to meet with you and to hear about the uh, the craft of writing that you uh, you teach and write about so well. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I would love to. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. Thank you for listening to Simon Cast, the official podcast of the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute at Southern Illinois University. Simon Cast is produced in collaboration with WSIU Public Radio. You can find Simon Cast wherever you listen to podcasts, including NPR One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Please subscribe to new episodes as soon as they're posted and tell your friends about our show. For more information, visit paulsimoninstitute.org. Thank you for listening and thank you for keeping the legacy of Paul Simon alive and well.